gospel. We give him thanks. We continue in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. If you'd make your way to the New Testament book of Philippians, we continue there in chapter 2. You'll remember that Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are the known as the prison epistles or the prison letters of Paul. It's because all of them were written by the Apostle Paul nearly at the same time when he was under house arrest in Rome. I've long held that the primary focus of Colossians is the glory of Christ, the head of the body. The primary focus of Ephesians is the church, the corporate body of the head. The primary focus of Philippians is the Christian, the individual part or member of the body. And the theme in Philippians is joy or rejoicing. Mentioned some 20 times in this brief book, Philippians 4, 10 through 14 records Paul's gratefulness for the financial support uh, from the Philippian believers. In fact, uh, in his book on this, Robert Leitner said, Philippians might be called a thank you note to the saints in Philippi for their generous gifts. And so it's about experiencing the joy of the Lord. When a child of God reads Philippians, somehow at some time there should be a smile which will come upon his face, her face, or inside experiencing that sense of joy. In 104 verses, the Lord Jesus is referenced 51 times. What's more, there are multiple references to the gospel and Christian fellowship. So this truly is, as Robert Mounts wrote, a consistently positive and personal book from the Apostle Paul. We last studied chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, a succinct summary of the personal work of Christ. Today, we continue in chapter 2, and I'll go back to the, the title uh, that I had just in case I, because I, I blew past it, the paradox of spiritual work. Chapter 2, just two verses, they seem to fit together uh, in context very comfortably, the paradox of spiritual work. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Oxford Dictionary explains and defines paradox as a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. That's the case in verses 12 and 13. Because in verse 12 it says, believer, you do the work. And in verse 13 it says, God alone does the work. Well, which is it? Well, of course, it's both, because it's the inspired Word of God. It's authoritative, and so that we know both are accurate. But how can both be true? How can both entities be doing the work 
uh, without it being, in fact, a contradiction. Oh, to be sure, it is a paradox, but with close investigation, you'll see uh, that uh, there is, in fact, no contradiction whatsoever. Let's take these two points, um, each verse, uh, separately. First of all, we see in verse 12, Christians are the example, the expression of spiritual power. This is a very endearing verse, as you'll notice in verse 12. It says, my beloved, my beloved brethren. Paul called the Philippians his very own beloved ones, my own beloved ones. Uh, Of course, he founded the church in Acts chapter 16. He knew these people. Uh, He knew Lydia, and he knew the church leaders, and he had been a part of their lives, and they a part of his life, and he greatly affirmed them. Notice how it says in verse 12 how he so greatly affirmed them by saying that they had always obeyed. Now, this is not a typical word for obedience in the sense of you're given a directive and you, in fact, follow the directive where you don't even maybe even know the person. Uh, You just know that this is a marching order for you. Uh, It's not that word. It's the word for listening and listening attentively. Have you ever said to your eight-year-old, especially your eight-year-old boy, are you listening to me? And what you mean by saying that is In order for you to obey, in order for you to get this, in order for you to stay safe, you have to listen to me. I can remember uh, when my kids were growing up, in fact, a lot of the kids their age uh, remember me saying this to them as well. Wayne Scott's, I'm sure I said it to your kids. Uh, And Wallace's, I'm sure I said it to your kids. And Staley's, I'm sure I said it to your kids. Because what I would say uh, when they're about to do something, I would say, look at me, use wisdom. Use wisdom. Well, that means do, don't be foolish, uh, uh, be, uh, use good judgment. And I meant that from a loving heart, a pastoral heart. That's what Paul is saying. He, he said, you have always listened to me before, and I'm sure praying that you're listening to me now. To listen attentively. Uh, Paul said that. They did it that in his presence. He wants them to do that in his absence. So Christians are the example or the expression of spiritual power. We see, then, the command to follow. There's a command given. Notice in verse 12 that I, I remember what you've, that you've listened so well. I want you to now, and this is what I'm going to say to you, work out your own salvation. There is the command. Now, there is a work for the believer, but this work is not unto or for salvation, it's because of salvation. It's not the root of salvation. We don't do, go through self-effort uh, in order to be saved, as you all know. Preaching to the choir here, you know that. It's not the root, it's the fruit. It's not for salvation, it's because of salvation. So what God worked in, in verse 13, and we'll look at that in a, minute, in, in, in a few minutes, the believer is to work out. He's to express that. He's to live that out. In fact, the word here for work in verse 12 is different from the word in verse 13. Notice in verse 12, it says, work out your own salvation. And in verse 13, it says, it's God who works in you. Two different words. This word in verse 12 has to do with working or laboring or toiling to the point of completion. It's going to the construction site putting on the hard hat, and actually going through uh, and expending the effort to get the job done, to work all day. This word uh, is where we get the word ergonomics. 
that is actually labor in motion, actually uh, doing something. The Apostle Paul said to the Philippians, you are to be all about that. It's also an imperative. That is, it's a command. And it's also a, a, a middle voice, meaning you. And it's also plural, so it's not just you as an individual. It's you as the church. Collectively, the apostle is commanding the church, members thereof, to work out their own salvation. That is, to actually be given to the labor, to the toil of doing something great for the cause of Christ in their day and doing it in the context of the local church. Jesus spoke to this with his apostles in John chapter 9 and verse 4. It's interesting. King James says, I must work the works of him. But other newer translations and the Greek New Testament, it's plural. I'm convinced uh, that what Jesus said was, we must work the works. The very same word as found in verse 12, of him that sent me, while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. So Jesus said, we, the collective body of believers, must do the work, the labor, the toil, uh, the uh, uh, applying the ergonomics. Um, you know, you go and you lift weights and you do curls with the, uh, with the weight bar. There's an ergonomic. Uh, ergonomic uh, aspect to that. That is, it's actually toiling uh, to the point of completion uh, until you uh, start building that muscle. It's that idea. And we see in verse 12, not only the command, but the conditions are given to us. Notice in verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, when I say conditions, Please do not think we're talking about performance. Well, I work for the Lord more than she works for the Lord or something along the line. It's not talking about performance. Folks, divorce yourself from any thought or any consideration of trying to measure up, of trying to uh, somehow enhance your standing. The Apostle Paul spoke to in his very first epistle to the Galatians. He said to them, this only would I learn of you. Receive, in other words, just tell me this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you get saved by keeping the law or did you get saved by trusting in Christ? Of course, these are rhetorical. Are you so foolish then, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made complete by self-effort? Of course you're not made complete by self-effort. Folks, a life in Christ began with, by faith and it is sustained by faith. And whenever self-effort is, is introduced... It profits how much? Nothing. The flesh profits nothing. And so get out of the performance mentality if that's what you're in. Life in Christ is and always has been by faith. There isn't any other way. You cannot measure up in your own effort. He must work through you uh, as you are working out your own salvation. In fact, Scripture says in Colossians 2.10, you are already complete in Him. Nothing more can be added. You are complete in Him. Warren Wiersbe understood this when he says, if the workman is what he ought to be, the work will be what it ought to be. In other words, the issue is focus on being not on doing. You said, but yeah, but uh, uh, the word is toil to the point of labor. Talking about uh, uh, what your motivation is, what your foundation is. Be who you should be in Christ. And then the working out your salvation will take care of itself. Now, I'm to do it. 
with fear and trembling. That is, I'm to have the right heart attitude as I work out uh, my, uh, my salvation. Now, is this talking about the individual believer work out your own salvation, or is this talking about the corporate church doing that? Well, very likely, it's talking about both of them. In fact, Leitner wrote, perhaps salvation or deliverance, um, perhaps it is best to see both the outworking of personal salvation and the corporate salvation or deliverance of the whole assembly from whatever held them back from experiencing God's best. And so whether it's the individual, you personally, or whether it's the church corporately, working out your salvation with fear and trembling is going from point A to point B. It's moving toward completion. It's moving in the process of sanctification. Of course, uh, since the whole is made of the sum of the parts, it matters that I am working out my own salvation. And it matters that you are working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what does it mean to work out your own salvation? From a point of being saved, I now labor for him not to become saved, but because I am saved. Why do I study God's word? Why do I pray? Why do I witness to the lost? I hope it's for the very same reason that you do. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I'm in full-time ministry. It's because I'm born again. Amen? That is why I want to know God and make Him known. It's because the Lord is my Savior. Uh, I'm the child of God. And therefore, I want to work that out. I want to labor till Jesus God will work till Jesus comes. We'll work. Remember that old gospel song? Will some of you don't remember that? <laughs> Dr. Chip Chase, I saw you shaking your head. You know that song, don't you? We'll work till Jesus comes. And we'll be taken home. Going home. And we'll be going home. Do we have that in, in our in our hymnal? Tell me, tell me where that is, uh, Brother Sailor. I need to find that. Let's just do that. <laughs> I promise you this is not in my notes. Six, what is it? 608. Everybody turn to 608 real quick, if you would. Number 608. Man, I have not heard this and done this song in 40 years, I'll bet. Have I? <clears throat> oh, 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 land of rest for thee, I sigh when... Oh, lower key? Oh, land of rest for thee, I sigh Will the moment come when I shall lay my armor by and dwell in peace at home? We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll... Okay, now, stop for a second. Uh, we need to have some bass support with, with, with the echo. Basses help us out on the echo. We'll work, Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work. Till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. That is a song for Philippians 2.12. Work out your own salvation because you are saved and do it in a spirit of meekness and fear. I like what Thomas Constable wrote about that. As we work out our own salvation, we must remember certain things. What? We serve a holy God. We have a strong and crafty adversary. We are weak and dependent on God for all that we need. Such awareness will produce the attitude of fear and trembling, 
that Paul advocated. This attitude is not inconsistent with joy and confidence in the Lord. I'm not saying uh, I am, I'm trembling at uh, those issues because they're more powerful than me. It's not that there are uh, giants in the land, therefore I can't go in, i.e. see the ten spies in the book of Exodus, right? You remember that? That's not what it is. But it is recognizing that uh, his craft and power are great, and he's armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal, as Martin Luther told us. But greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world, First John 4, 4. And so I can be victorious, but I must approach it the right way. That is, with a humility and with an absolute dependence on the Lord, uh, entrusting him. William Hendrickson commented, putting forth such a constant and sustained effort is not easy. It's a battle on three fronts. A war against a tremendously strong and wily combination of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Folks, it's a high and holy calling. It's sacred labor. And so I must approach it with fear and trembling, with an understanding of who I am, just dust. But with the same under, at, at, at the same time, with the understanding that he is in me and he is empowering me. The believer is given uh, that kind of, those kind of spiritual resources. Secondly, verse 13. It tells us now that God is the source, supply of spiritual power. Oh, verse A, or point A, the believer is that. No, it's an altogether different word. Yes, we are to toil to the point of completion. And completion very well might be, and up to this point in world history, it's been until you go to be with the Lord. Till I'm taken home. Uh, at one point in, in the future, it's going to be when the Lord takes the church home and our labor is complete. But verse 13 that tells us how this is possible. And it says, it's God who works in you. Altogether different word. This word is the word for energy. It's not the word for ergonomics. It's not me laboring to the point of exhaustion or completion. It's the word for energy. It is putting the outlet, or the, the plug into the outlet and drawing resource from that. It's the idea of uh, the concept of electricity, if you will. And God is the one and only one who can be the source and the supplier of spiritual power. He's the electric company. And he's the one who powers the engine, namely his people, to get the work done. The electric company is not getting the work done at your house, but the electric company is the source that supplies the power for the vacuum cleaner at your house for you to get the work done. Unless you're like our house and we've got one of those little robot things. I love those things. (laughs) I got a great anecdote about that. Kathy, how long did we have that thing? Yeah, two years. We bought, we bought one of those little robot things two to three years. We, we've had it in operation for a year. But we bought it three to four years ago somewhere on Amazon, I think. And it came to our house. Uh, my kids can tell you they believe this absolutely. It sat in the box unopened because we were too fearful to open the box. <laughs> we were clueless. Of what we saw that little 
robot running around other people's houses. But we don't dare get that critter out in our house. It might, it might take over. <laughs> so I had to wait. We had to wait for my daughter from Nashville to make a visit. And she had it hooked up and set up in five minutes. And uh, it's been going strong ever since. The electric company supplies the power. God is that source, that supply of power. Okay, a couple of points on this. The commencement of it. When does it begin? Okay, I believe that he is the source. Now, when does that spiritual power act? I'm still waiting for it to kick in. Well, the spark of the beginning of the commencement is at the point of salvation. Notice in verse 13. It says... For it is God who worketh in you. The in you is when he comes into your life. It's not, the spiritual power does not come from Jesus being a good example. Was Jesus a good example? Yes. But lost people who say uh, that Jesus is a good example do not have any power. Because it's more than Jesus just being a good example for you to have spiritual powers like this. I've been to the Vatican twice. I, I have been awestruck by the Sistine Chapel, the painting by Michelangelo on the, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. I can be awestruck all day. I can, I can say what an, an exemplary work of the greatest painter of all time. And I not get any closer to being able to do that by looking at that example. You all following I have to be struck with the talent, with the diligence, with the patience, the perseverance in order to duplicate what Michelangelo did, and I'm guessing that's not going to ever happen to me. So it's not just being a good example. I would have to have his talent infused in me in order to be able to produce that. You all with me? And so the issue is God, the source of power, is in you. That is a key. That's the commitment, uh, the commencement, the beginning of that. In fact, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, know you not how that Christ Jesus is in you. Earlier in this chapter, in verse 5, let this mind be in you. Colossians 1, 27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does that mean? Well, it means that we have the settled assurance that we'll experience eternity with him because he is in us, in God's spirit. Ephesians 1.14 is the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance. So the beginning point of spiritual power is when he comes in you. Now, think about the kind of power this is. How were you, what shape were you in spiritually before salvation? Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in trespasses and sins. And now you've been made alive in him. That's pretty significant power that raised you from the dead. And that very power by his spirit resides in you presently and resides in me. The beginning of it. Now, the components. The how God energizes his people. If you'll notice in verse 13... It's God, he's the source, he's the supplier to get the work done. For God, for it is God who worketh in you, notice what he does, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
That's how he does it. That's the operation of his energy in you so that you can then get the work done. He's the one who's supplying that. Two points on this. First of all, we see it's God works in us to will. It's a dependent attitude. We're instructed to will to work. It's having the right heart attitude of humble dependence on Christ. It's getting up in the morning and going to your job with a, with a heart attitude of, I have to or I get to. I have to go to work because, after all, uh, my kids don't like it when we go uh, a few days without food. They don't like it when there's no uh, socks or shoes uh, to wear. They don't like it when the, uh, the furnace is, uh, is off because of the gas. So, therefore, I have to do this uh, in order to meet that responsibility. That's one way to go to work. One can do that, but it's not, it's not greatly satisfying. Instead, going to work, saying, I get to do this to make a difference for the cause of Christ in my pagan environment in the work world. Now that will get you out of bed in the morning and get you going. Amen? He, wants, he, he, he works in us to will. And we know that he does that because he gives you a hunger and a thirst after righteousness, which you never had before. Therefore, to not have that must mean I'm resisting that work in my heart. I'm not wanting that to be the case in my life as a child of God. Because he doesn't give us a non-will to follow him, only a will to follow him. So it's a dependent attitude. It's looking at the situation and truly saying, Lord, if anything good, if anything fruitful is going to come in this situation through my life, You must be doing it through me, and I'm trusting you to do just that. And to use you. Uh, Now you've become willing. You become willing to say, whatever it is, wherever I am, God, if you want to call me to Timbuktu, or you want to use me right here across the fence in my backyard with my neighbor, and all points in between, I'm wholly dependent on you because I can't do this myself. I can't make this happen myself. I can't produce anything. I can't even change myself, let alone change somebody else. But God, you can. And I'm willing to be used of you. So he works in us to will to follow him and then to do. There must be a sense of diligence, a sense of earnestness. The follower of Christ, for the follower of Christ, the scripture uses metaphors such as, think about this, a servant. What does a servant do? He serves. An athlete. What does an athlete do? He competes. A soldier. What does a soldier do? He fights. A farmer. What does a farmer do? He plants. In other words, there's actually the doing of it. You're not those things. You're not living out those things. If, if you're sitting on the sidelines, again, it's for the whole church. All of you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who has willed this for you, and he will do this through you as you submit to him. Diligence in action. I must actually do something in serving God. You know? I can hear you thinking. <clears throat> your, your, your thoughts are, are they're, too, they're too noisy right now. I can hear them. Preacher, 
Uh, that's easy for you to say. You're old. You're almost dead. Your kids are grown. They don't need you. Your wife is young and smart and makes more money than you. You don't have any burdens or pressures. I'm granting all of that to you, with, for you. But whatever is on my plate must be determined to be in the will of God. And it's never more than what he knows that I can handle. For God does not allocate to you more than he supplies the means of fulfilling that. Right? So if you have a a bunch of little ones underfoot right now, then maybe you ought not chair that committee. If you have a a lot of uh, financial responsibilities right now, then maybe you're not to go on that mission trip right now. But someone is to go on that mission trip right now. Someone is to chair that committee. Someone is to lead that Awana club. Someone is to go door to door in the neighborhood. Someone is to, and then you fill in the blank. But there is something that God has for you. So be willing and then do the work. For God has worked that in you to do the work. Finally, and I'm done with this, here's the qualifier. We see it in verse 13. And this is huge. It's for his good pleasure. (laughs) As if you didn't already know that. You see, when it's for his good pleasure, and you're not serving me, and you're not not primarily, and you're not primarily serving one another, you can move out willingly And do the job when no one else sees it or no one else cares. Because you know that the Lord cares. And the Lord sees it. Amen? And that's ultimately my motivation. And when it's not my motivation, I need to be very cautious and careful about that. Because then it's wood, hay, and stubble. It's just going to burn up. I want it to be gold, silver, and precious stones. So that it will, Brother Chuck, survive the refiner's fire. When he had tried me, Job said, say it with me, I shall come forth as gold. So my motivation makes all the difference. Now I'm going to share something with you. You all can test me on this and, uh, and, check, and, and check me on this. But I believe this is accurate. I read this week, just found out this, this week. In... Thayer's Greek lexicon, no lightweight when it comes to Greek word studies. It says that this word here in verse 13, good pleasure, only refers to God. This particular unique word, it said it is not found in secular literature in ancient Greek language. But only... And I checked and I chased it around with lots of verses in Scripture. Every one of them is speaking about God or a a reference to the things of God. It's not just anyone's good pleasure. It's not what I think that I'm doing a good job or I'm looking for your approval that I'm doing a good job. Kathy and I tease each other. I'll I'll tell her, run down a list of all the things uh, that I've done around the house and and then I'll say aren't I a good boy 
And of course, we, we're just messing with each other and all. She'll do that kind of a thing. We're, we're doing it tongue-in-cheek. We're doing it uh, in a silly way. But there are those who are bound up with man's approval. You're never going to measure up. You're always going to be flawed in your practical expression of your life. And, point, and folks will point it out to you. I'll probably get pointed that out in this message, by the way. <laughs> Preacher, you're not a singer. What are you doing breaking into song in the middle of song? I don't know. It's where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, I guess. You do it for Him. His glory is always the motivation for anything and everything we do in our attitude about it and then in the expression of it in our action. A paradox. You work because he has work 